Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Hunt, Lift, Deep podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke, here with my co-host, Perry. And today we've got a special guest, our other brother slash cousin, Evan. Hey, what, Evan, what's going on, man? Not much, dude. Just been uh, working today, getting some stuff moved around from the storage unit, cook some venison meatloaf, doing a little meal prep for the week. How are y'all? Doing great, man. Had a pretty good weekend myself. Uh, it was our, <laughs> as I kind of let slip last episode, it was my courthouse anniversary for Caroline and I was on the 16th. And so we ended up just waiting for, for the weekend to celebrate. So I took her out to a nice restaurant in the Springs area on Friday. And then we went up to Denver all day Saturday, got an Airbnb there with some friends and had a, had a pretty good weekend. What have you been into, Perry? Yeah, I've been doing a little moving myself. Unfortunately, not me, but helped my uh, brother-in-law do some moving this weekend. So that's always fun, but got it behind us, got a lot done and uh, got to actually get a little time out in the woods this afternoon doing some, um, doing some shed hunting actually, which was fun. Oh, hell yeah. Did you have any luck? Yeah, I did actually. I found a couple old ones. They were from last year, but match set. Um, it's that property, that new property that I got access to hunt on this year. So I was over there for a couple hours this afternoon. It was a good time. It was a nice day. Did you find them down in like what looked to be bedding area or near food? Like, what do you think was going on with that buck? Yeah, it was definitely bedding. Um, so as I think we've alluded to a little bit before, I do I do environmental consulting. And part of the arrangement for how I got access to hunt this property was that that it, they would let me hunt it. And then I would do some just kind of preliminary initial um, environmental stuff for the for the landowners. So I was doing some of that today, which I was walking up a couple of uh, long drainages and there's some thick, probably 10, 15 year cutover. And so definitely thick bedding areas kind of on the side slopes of these drainages. And that's where I found them. That's awesome. Definitely drop a, a pin there. You can <clears throat> try to hunt that wind and use the thermal to your advantage and triangulate where those bucks are moving in and out of. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't actually have access to hunt that particular corner that I found them. Um, but it was, I'm hoping that maybe maybe this is a bit of a long-term play and might be able to go back there in the future. When you found that matching set, were both of them like in the general area, I'm guessing? How far away was each antler? Yeah, they were probably 50, 60 yards apart, I would say. Um they were both right in the same area, right on this, like I said, this little kind of steep slope on the side of this thick drainage, and um, but definitely not right together. Now, that being said, the only other match set I've ever found was actually a job site that I had down um, <laughs> in South Charlotte, of all places, and that was a pretty nice buck, and they were, it was this thick kind of bedding, um, grassy area, and they were right beside each other. So the two match sets I found now, pretty close proximity. That's awesome. That's really cool. I've actually never found a match set. I've got a bunch of singles, but I seem to like never be, I never find sheds when I'm looking for them. It's just when I'm like wandering through the woods is when I'll find them. I found a lot actually at Fort Benning when I was just doing army shit, walking around through the woods. I'd always, seems like I'd always find them. I found them at Fort Campbell too. Several when they're all chewed up, I just give them to the dogs, but it's cool when you find one that's you know in good condition. It's a lot of fun. I need to get, get out and do some shed hunting out here in Colorado. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's something we should do more of up at the family farm. I know we've all found a few here and there just walking around, being in the woods, doing whatever, but I don't think I've ever intentionally went out actually shed hunting there. Have y'all? No, I definitely haven't. Yeah, I haven't either. We actually were talking about doing that this past trip when we were up there, but the weather was so crappy that I don't think we felt like doing anything else other than what we kind of felt like we had to do. Yeah, it was definitely a kind of a miserable weekend as we touched on last uh, last last episode. But it's pretty cool now. At least we can all three sit down and, and talk about everything that's been been going on. Um, I think this episode we're really going to start doing a recap. We, we've been talking about it. I don't I don't know if we'll get through the entire season in this episode or if this is going to be a multi episode deal. We'll just kind of play it by ear and the conversation will run as long as it runs. But we're going to do a recap of this past season, uh, really primarily focusing on Perry and kind of his journey into bow hunting and, you know, adopting a saddle and a bow in the same season and kind of what he learned. And then we'll talk about my first forays into hunting out West. And then Evan, unfortunately missed the majority of the season, but at the tail end, he got to, to snag a couple of does back on the farm. So you can kind of touch on some of that as well, but um, we'll kind of start off with Perry, man. Kind of tell us what, uh, 
what that journey looked like, like kind of give us the background of when you decided to get into bow hunting and then, you know, when you made the decision to, to kind of jump in and then where it went from there. Yeah, for sure. It was, it was something that we had kind of talked about, or I had kind of talked about for the past couple of years. Um, I've definitely been wanting to do it and just hadn't really found the, the time nor the, the, uh, the inclination to go ahead and pull the trigger, but ended up buying a bow at the very end of last hunting season. Um, just kind of got lucky and, uh, stumbled upon one that made sense for me and, uh, got it set up during the off season, uh, started shooting during the summer, uh, during the lead up to hunting season. And what really made me go ahead and decide to pull the trigger and kind of go all in on being mobile and getting, getting the saddle was when I got permission to hunt this, this piece down the road. And that was kind of last minute. I probably didn't get access to that property until what August or September, even maybe, I mean, it was late. And I said, well, if that's the case, I need to, I haven't ever been on the property. I didn't have time to scout it. So I needed to, I needed to have a setup that allowed me to be mobile and um, kind of learn as I go, which was a challenge. And, you know, you factor in hunting a new property, shooting a bow for the first time, at least consistently and intentionally at, um, you know, at an animal and then using the new gear with the saddle and everything. Um, there was a big learning curve and, um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't make a ton of mistakes this year. On the other hand, it was honestly one of the most enjoyable hunt seasons I've had in a long time. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that with my journey into bow hunting. I started a few years before you really at Fort Campbell. I've kind of talked about that a little bit in the past, but What's cool about getting into bow hunting, I think, especially when you've been rifle hunting for a long time, is one, you have a, a knowledge base that at least translates well to you, you understand animal, animal behavior. Now you do, you know, obviously where we set up, how we set up is completely different, you know, with the proximity. <clears throat> but what's really cool about it is everything kind of seems new. You kind of have that new hunter excitement about everything. Like, you know, that first time a deer walks into bow range. I mean, I was at Fort Campbell, man. And I've been hunting my ass off. I was doing public land, mobile hunting, and bow hunting all in the first time. And I was getting my ass kicked. And I finally had that doe come in at like 20 yards. Dude, my knees were shaking. You just thought that was a 200-inch whitetail, man. This two-and-a-half-year-old doe. I mean, I had typewriter leg like crazy. So it was definitely, definitely awesome. And I know you can you can relate to the to the same feeling. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember the first morning that I got out there on that new property, got set up with the bow in my hand, climbed up the tree, and I just could not wipe the grin off of my face because I had no clue <laughs> if I was going to see anything. You know, I was out there well before dark. Um, wasn't that cold yet because it was still pretty early season, but I just remember being like absolutely just jacked. And it was like you say, it was that is like when you're a kid again, that first time, um, you know, hunting, that that new hunting experience. And I, I, I think it was probably, I don't know, three or four sits into that new property before I actually uh, saw my first deer on that place and, and kind of started to figure out some of the lay of the land out there. But it was just, man, I was, I was pumped. I mean, I've kind of experienced that just in, uh, I mean, I've, I've only had a bow for less than a month now and I can't, I can't get enough. Like if I go a day without shooting, then it feels like I don't like it. You know, I want to, I want to go out there and shoot every day and I hit muscle fatigue so quick. Cause you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not used to drawing that bow and I have to, I'm not able to shoot as much as I want to, but man, it's, it's, I'm hooked. It's super addicting for sure. So I can, I can kind of understand what y'all mean just from target shooting. I can only imagine how that amplifies that first time you get in the woods. Yeah, for sure. I remember, I think I was telling you guys the same thing last summer when I was shooting, just how much fun it is you know, you, you wake up in the summertime, especially once, you know, once the days start getting a little longer, you wake up, you go shoot for an hour before work, you come home, you shoot for an hour before, uh, before the sun goes down and just, you know, being able to get that repetition in and, you know, you can do it anywhere as long as you got a backyard, you know, it's not like you have to go out to the range with a rifle or have, have a long place to do it. It's, it's just, it's been a completely, uh, completely exciting experience to, to pick up the bow. Yeah, I love the the same aspect. I'm actually slacking. You guys are on top of it right now. I'm 
really redoing my setup. So I haven't been shooting at all since the season ended. I think the last time I shot my bow was when I killed that little button buck in, uh, in October. But what I love about the repetition and like what you're talking about, Perry is, is getting into that rhythm is I like to tie it into my workouts. And so, you know, I get in the morning, I'll go run and then I come back and early on in the season or early on in the off season, I'm shooting a lot more, but as it starts getting closer to the season, I, I really dial it back and it's literally like three shots. And then when I get like really close to the season, it's just one arrow because I think that kind of replicates the idea of I only get one shot. So you're kind of fatigued. You maybe just did a workout and now I'm going to take one shot. And you got to make sure that shot counts because what I'll, I find myself doing when I'm shooting a lot is I'll, I'll sit there and, you know, my first couple shots, I might not be super honed in and I got to like work into the rhythm and tighten everything up and really go through my shot sequence and everything. So I, I like that one shot deal. Yeah. I was really glad you mentioned that, um, that tip to me back during the season, because I found myself doing the same thing, especially kind of like say right to the lead up to archery season and then even in season because you get home from work and, and at that point, you know, the days are a lot shorter, but still you go out there, grab the bow, put one arrow, 20 yards, as long as you're good. It just really did a lot for me as a new bow hunter to give me the confidence that I could still go out there, sit in the tree and I was going to make a, you know, hopefully a good shot. So I have a, uh, kind of a follow-up thought on that. Um, that's actually a really good tip and I'm not to remember it, but you know, I'm as amateur as it gets with bow hunting, but are y'all, were y'all bringing your bows and shooting like, day of the hunt, like shooting three or five arrows, you know, before you walk to the woods at the cabin or, you know, in your yard before you go out or anything along those lines. So whenever I'm traveling, I always try to shoot the bow. Like as soon as I get to where I'm going, put some, some arrows down now. Like, so when we went to the farm in October, we did a quick confirm zero. Um, we, we shot and that's something we need to get probably better at. And I was thinking that, that, we can look at maybe getting some better lights for the yard to where we can actually, cause usually we're getting in, it's going to be late on like a Thursday and then we're going to hunt that Friday morning. And so we can set up like some sort of light system so we can do a confirmed zero. Cause like we were doing it with flashlights, it's kind of a pain in the ass, but I think that's really important. One, just to give you like, whenever you're traveling, you have no idea what happened. You don't know what TSA does that every time I phone with my bow case, they open it. So like who knows what they're doing when they're opening it. And so you, you just want to make sure you've got that, confidence that hey my sights my sights are good like my zero is still tight i'm still good knock that out i don't do a ton of shooting during the season uh just because usually if i'm bow hunting that's gonna be my shooting but i, I probably should do more i think that even if it's just doing the that one arrow a day would be very beneficial and i probably don't do that enough once the season starts i, I find myself when the season starts kind of focusing on the hunting and not so much on the training and i think that's a that's a problem i need to correct that yeah, I'll say from for my part, when I was hunting down here, you know, just just right down the road, um, I would I would just try to do kind of like what Luke was talking about, where, you know, come shoot an arrow or, or a group of three, um, you know, at least at least every if not every day, every other day during the week and then leading up to, you know, the, the Friday or Saturday or whatever I was going to go hunt. And then when we would go up to the farm, um, yeah, same thing, kind of confirm zero. Obviously, wasn't flying with mine to just drive up there, put, throw it in the truck, but still, you know, and just make sure. The other thing, Evan, I would say, and I don't know if you're contemplating getting a saddle or what you're kind of thinking about your setup, but one of the things that I did, which I was extremely glad that I did, was made sure I actually shot my bow from the saddle. I did it from, you know, from a stand as well, but actually practiced with my saddle in the backyard and spent a full afternoon practicing all sorts of different shots. Um, and that really, made a big difference yeah that makes a lot of a lot of sense and that's some some good tips that i'm gonna keep in mind from both of you and, and i was thinking that actually so uh my my girlfriend and i's house here um is butted up actually to some uh, not quite lake front you kind of got to go through some little marshlands but there's trees there and i've been i scouted out a tree that overlooks our backyard that i'm going to prune up and either whether i do saddle or um climber i'm not sure i haven't decided or maybe both and try them out. Um, that's something I was going to talk to you all more about once we get closer to the season, but I'm definitely, definitely make going to make sure I take several shots and practice from an elevated position before going into the woods. Yeah. That was one of the reasons why I actually didn't end up using my saddle in the later season. And I initially had planned on it and I was just going to kind of assume a little risk and, and roll out. But once <clears throat> we got to the farm and everything, I was like, man, like I, 
I haven't even been in my saddle yet. I've been in John's, so I've run the tethered setup before, but I never hung my stuff. Like I didn't feel confident in my gear and my equipment. And I think that's something that, and Evan, you know this, like in the army, it's the same exact thing. Like you have to train with the kit you're going to use the way you're going to use it. And if you don't, you're not going to have that confidence. Even if, you know, I'm pretty confident like that I can shoot. Like I, I've shot a lot of arrows at this point. And is angle going to make that much of a difference? Maybe, maybe not. But in the back of your mind, you're still doing something you've never done before. And I just don't think you have the same level of confidence going in that when you know you have that that repetition and that muscle memory built in. And it's very important, I think, across everything, but especially when it comes to hunting and shooting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and on those lines, I'm, I'm guessing, especially with the saddle, you're probably using different muscles than your normally using. So I would imagine just from kind of watching y'all and observing and understanding a little bit of the premise there, you're probably, you know, tightening up in other places. So that's bound to affect your shooting a little bit and just, you know, hanging off a tree, even in a climber and holding the bow and elevated with a harness. I'm sure it's different than just standing in a yard with your feet planted on the ground. Yeah, it definitely is. There's, there's the, there's the reason they call it saddle shape for sure. Um, by the time you, you start logging some hours in it, you'll notice that it, especially, and for me, honestly, it was, you know, the climbing as well. Um, and that was, that was one of the things that I had to kind of, you know, struggle with and work my way through was climbing the tree, you know, getting set up, doing it, doing it in the dark, you know, never hadn't done it before. Um, and then, you know, you sit there for four or five, six, eight hours, whatever, you know, that whole time, anticipating needing to make a shot at any moment. Um, definitely, definitely have to work up to that point. I will say, you know, the saddle hunting group <laughs> catches a lot of flack um, at times being the, you know, being the crossfitters of the hunting world or whatever, but down there in Fayetteville, I'm sure there's, there's dudes that are, that are running the saddles and there's a lot of on the forums and so forth. You could probably um, go find someone kind of show you their setup and, and see if you like it or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was actually, that brought a question to my mind. I was, what's the, you say in sitting in the tree for six, eight hours. I mean, obviously that makes sense. What's the fatigue like on, from sitting in the saddle? Cause I mean, sitting in a deer stand, your, your basket's sore after a few hours, but like, what's the pressure points and what's the muscle fatigue from the saddle? I think it's going to be different for different guys, depending on, um, one, how you're built Two what kind of setup and what all accessories you got. Um, for me, I know early on, I, I thought I didn't buy the knee pads at first. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't probably need those. And, and eventually I just decided to go ahead and pull the trigger because, you know, most of the time I found myself not really leaning with my knees up against the tree, but it is nice to, to be able to have that option, especially just to take a, a quick break um, from kind of leaning out. Um, I think having the, uh, the good, the good solid platform is, is crucial. And that's one thing that I learned over the course of the season was making sure I spent a lot of time attention to detail when I actually set up my platform so that it was, it was level. It wasn't all, you know, cockeyed or because then that, that can create a lot of, a lot of fatigue on the bottom of your feet as on, as a, as weird as it is to say, um, those are, those are the big things I noticed. So help a ignorant upcoming bow hunter. What, what do you mean when you talk about platform? What are you referring to? Is that the actual saddle or where your like feet are resting? Yeah, where your feet are resting. So like I'll, ju I'll just give a little bit of uh, kind of quick rundown of my setup. So I have um, I've got the um, Novix mini sticks, which are fairly small sticks and then um, running the tethered saddle and um, the tethered predator platform. So basically once you get, once you set your top stick and a lot of guys, if they're using like sticks that have the double steps step on each side, sometimes they'll just, you know, use the top of their top stick as their platform. Um, a lot of guys do DIY platforms and make them out of like the bottom of, of, uh, climbers or lock-ons or something like that. Um, some dudes that actually do, you know, metal fabrication have made them, but anyway, I just ordered one from the tethered guys and it's just basically a little a little foot platform that, that you uh, that you rest your feet on. You want to make sure you have it at least for me um, set up level. And then I gave it kind of a slight um, slant back because when you lean it back, you, you, your feet aren't the bottom of your feet aren't perpendicular to the tree. They're kind of angled, and I really found that made a big a big difference in my comfort level. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't, I don't know if there's any listeners out there that are as inexperienced or maybe getting into the bow hunting, but I know that sure helped me beneficial. Yeah, I think it definitely is, is beneficial because, I mean, shit, I didn't know much about the saddle until John got into it. And for those of you that don't know, John's one of our buddies. He's one of the original team members, uh, one of my close friends, close friends with Perry and Evan as well. And he kind of was a step ahead of us in the bow hunting game and in the, uh, the the saddle game and running a mobile setup. He was running a lone wolf climber for a long time. I was running a summit climber. And then he got into uh, the saddle hunting. And so I kind of got to watch him as he worked out his kit and everything. And then, you know, when Perry got into bow hunting, we both – I actually told Perry, I was like, look, man, I, I think you should just go ahead and run with the saddle because watching John come out to the farm and how mobile and adaptable he was with that setup – and how quick it was. That's really what I think is interesting. And then also like I've lugged a fucking summit climber, you know, two miles back and on public land and it's not enjoyable. Like those things are not quiet. I mean, I know some guys like completely wrap them down. Like that's a level of patience. I don't have, like, I'm just not going to do that. And so it's with the saddle cool is you like, you can put out your whole setup in a backpack. And then when you have your harness on, you can have it set up very similarly to kind of how we run our kit, Evan, with, you know, it's, you got Molly webbing, you can have your dump pouches, you can kind of set it up and can, you continue to customize it. And that's what I've kind of liked is like, I, I've bought little attachments and little, you know, things here and there, different pouches to kind of like hone it in. And so this off season, I really want to practice with getting it in. My biggest issue is in where I live in Colorado, there's no fucking trees. So I, I'm going to have to like drive an hour to get to a tree to be able to climb. Yeah, that could be a problem. One thing I've, uh, one thing I've noticed is that um, I think you're definitely right. I think it's going to be one of those things that you tweak constantly. I've already got, you know, half a dozen different ideas and minor changes I'm probably going to make to my setup before this coming year. But, you know, when we talked about it before, not having our family farm ever really set up or designed for bow hunters, you know, no one, no one out there historically in our family was ever that serious about bow hunting. Um, and then having getting for me access to this new property really is what kind of made me go ahead and pull the trigger on the saddle. And I tell you what, I don't, I don't regret it one bit. It's, it's been, it's been a total, total a game changer for me. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's good feedback. I'm definitely going to try to make up my mind while I'm deployed again before the season on what I'm going to do or maybe try both. I don't know, but going back, Luke question for you when, so I, I guess I never thought about that. I mean, I know there's not a whole lot of, um, tall trees, especially not like a bunch of hardwood forest out in Colorado. So is that going to be from you this season when you're hunting out there? Is that going to be more like spot and stalk or like blinds? I mean, how, what are you anticipating for that? And what is, what does that look like for your training slash practice? Yeah. So, uh, there's pretty much, there's actually tethered as offering like a thousand dollar reward for the first guy that kills an elk out of a tethered saddle and films it. And, uh, I'm not going to go for that. I'm going to focus on just killing an elk period. <laughs> Dude, do it. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get to that. Maybe, uh, maybe at a later date, but yeah. So everything that I've done so far has been pretty much spot and stock, um, out here. I obviously my muley hunt was cut short because I flipped my truck and we can talk about that more later. The Colorado muley hunt I did. So I did Wyoming muley, Colorado antelope, Colorado elk. I killed an antelope struck out on elk and then I can talk, I'll go into some more detail on the, the Wyoming muley hunt later, but, but yeah, so it's very much spot and stock out here. Good glass, um, a lot of sitting glassing and then, you know, picking out the animal and then moving to, and then you can also do some kind of jump hunting where you're, we're breaking brush and you're, you're rolling through, uh, just trying to jump something up, especially with mule deer. Um, I think that's something because a lot of, especially the younger bucks, you can jump them and they'll just kind of trot off and look back. It's not like a whitetail where they're just gone. So they're a little more forgiving. That's what I really noticed. Um, the hardest thing that I've dealt with so far is just the the access and the public land, private land deal. But let's go ahead and pair it out. I want to, let's roll back to you real quick before I get off on a long tangent on Western hunting, because I'll talk about this shit forever and kind of give us, we kind of went into like what your setup is and your backstory and the getting into bow hunting. And let's take it from like the start of the season. You've hunted a couple of times, seen some deer at, uh, at this property right there in North Carolina. But I think opening weekend, you, you went to the farm, like our family farm, right. And decided to set up, kind of take it from there and let us know what that looked like. 
Yeah, for sure. So I did, I did have a couple setups on this property down here by my house um, before opening weekend up there in Virginia. Um, didn't get any kills down here, um, but went up opening weekend. I think I was by myself that weekend. I don't think anybody else was up there. And um, <laughs> that was the, that was the weekend that Lance and I spent like all night working on my four wheeler. So honestly didn't get much sleep the night before opening day and decided to go set up near our little food plot. And we talked about that food plot last episode and we have a ladder stand up there overlooking that plot, but it's honestly not in a good spot for a bow. And it's certainly, um, you know, there's, there's, I, I wanted to use my saddle to be honest. So I set up kind of to the side of the plot back in, back in some thick uh, pines. And it was one of those deals where I went in that morning and it's not that far of a walk from the cabin, but on the way in, there were deer blowing at me. Um, the wind was on, on the way in. I think the wind was uh, kind of pushing, pushing down and some deer below me, um, blew me. So that was kind of a bummer. So even before I got to the tree, I was kind of like, <laughs> son of a bitch, this is not, not a good start. So, um, setting up for the first time I'd practice setting up in the dark, but setting up the saddle the first time in the dark, you know, on an actual hunt I was like made every mistake that I could possibly make. And, and, uh, so by the time I finally got, got up into the tree. Um, I was sweating. It wasn't that cold. I was pissed off. I was frustrated. I was just like, man, this is not going to be, be a, uh, be a good hunt. Sure enough, I started seeing deer and, and saw several deer that morning and, uh, just stuck it out. And eventually the two does that, uh, one of the, the, the mama doe that I ended up shooting, they came out in the food plot, fed for a while. Um, they left, came back, and she ended up coming in right at 20 yards, perfect broadside shot. And, um, and was able to get an arrow in her. And so that was definitely one of the big things I learned this season. Cause again, I've made, made a ton of mistakes just from, from the actual setup to, you know, learning how to read which particular tree. Like I can't tell you how many times this year, or if I'd have been in a tree, you know, 10, 15 yards, one way or another, it would have had a shot. Um, but just one of those deals where, you just got to do it. You got to make the mistakes. You got to learn as you go. And um, so got got my first bow kill. Yeah. So Perry sent me a, you know, he texted me and he's like, oh, I'm going out on my first sit. I was, I was antelope hunting. Actually, I was on my antelope hunt and he, I'm getting my ass kicked on this antelope hunt, by the way. I'll, I can ex- expand on that a little bit later, but, and he sends me a picture of uh of a doe down with his bow on it. And he's like, who the fuck said bow hunting was hard? And I was like, you motherfucker, like you son of a bitch first sit out, like real sit at the farm, you know? And, uh, he got it done. It was pretty badass though. It was awesome. It was, it was really cool to see, but we told him, I mean, I, I text John too, I think, or maybe you text John and, uh, we, me and John were te- texting back and forth and we were like, this motherfucker spoiled. Like he doesn't know. He does not know. You know, he's going to start out, get this immediate success. He hasn't got his ass kicked yet. Because I think John and I were both in the same boat our first season. We did kill something our first season, but it was after, like, months of, like, putting in hours. I mean, I probably had 40 hours at least, and I probably shit more than that because I hunted harder for that one doe than I have anything else. I know John was in a similar boat. So it's one of those things. I think it caught you on the tail end, though. You started to, to, to see what the struggle is all about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I had to talk some shit early on and I couldn't let y'all know, you know, how shitty my morning had been up to the point that I actually <laughs> got that shot on that doe. But um, yeah, after listening to y'all talk about how, how different bow hunting is and how, how much more challenging it is from a, from a rifle for the past couple of years, I had to talk some shit when I went out there opening morning and, and put one down. But you're definitely right. It definitely caught up with me. I hunted, hunted pretty hard, honestly, the rest of the season and I mean, I don't know how many hours I logged uh, in the saddle and with a bow, but it had to be, it had to be a, a ton and came close a couple of other times. Um, had one, one really good morning over at the property down here in North Carolina. And it was that deal where literally if I'd been set up 10 yards to my left, I would have had shots at probably, I don't know, there was probably eight or 10 deer that moved right through 
this little funnel um, was just out of my range from where I'd actually set up. And uh, so I, I definitely, definitely got my ass kicked a little bit the rest of the season. Um, definitely learned you have to use, use the, uh, the cover and the topography a lot different when you're bow hunting than when you, when you got a rifle. So that brings up another question for me. Um, when you're, when y'all are sitting, are you constantly ranging like, uh, inanimate objects, trees, rocks, clumps of grass, things of that nature. And then also trying to range the animal if you have time now, I mean, of course, I've, you know, hunted enough to know that sometimes you have a narrow window to, uh, identify your target and take the shot. But I mean, obviously I'm sure you would try to range the animal or anticipate a stopping spot and have that, but are you getting a lot of like predetermined ranges before you, you know, draw your bow? Yeah. 360. I do. I'll pick, you know, TRPs essentially target reference points is, is a term that we utilize in the, in the military. And it, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's a target reference point. You're going to range that point and make it, it's going to be something that really stands out like this big Oak tree, this rock, and then I'll set them up like kind of in a sequence. And so then it's just the way my brain works. Everybody's probably a little bit different, a lot smarter than I am. I'm dumb. So I have to kind of make a pattern. So it makes sense to me and keep the ranges. And then I'll constantly, like if I'm in a, feel like I'm a lull, there's not a lot going on. I'll just bring my range finder up and kind of reaffirm those just to keep them fresh in my mind. Because, so I missed, I missed the biggest doe. Honestly, I mean, it, everyone wants to talk about big does. The biggest doe I've ever seen was on our farm. And it, I shot just over her back. It was before I had a range finder. And that was like, I need a range finder. I don't have that. I can judge, you know, 100, 200, 300 pretty damn accurately within, you know, you know, plus or minus 20 yards, but like that plus or minus 20 yards with a bow is the difference between, you know, a hit or a clean miss. And then if you're five yards off, that's the difference between a hit and a, a wound. And so it, it can be a big deal. And so the rangefinder is definitely a tool that I think everybody should utilize and then have some sort of system that they, so as soon as I get in, if it's a morning sit, as soon as first light comes up, I'm going to go ahead and range. And then don't forget to range behind you. A lot of folks forget to, to hit that behind you range because you're going to have some shots when you might be turning around. And that's important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's that's a good tip again for an experienced bow hunter. And I can relate. I'm I'm pretty good at, at estimating, you know, ranges at increments of a hundred yards to to fifty yards, but that's typically like fifty yards and out. So fifty hundred, one fifty, two hundred, so on. Um, but getting those ranges and estimating ranges 50 yards and end, especially in five yard increments or five meter increments is really hard for me. And I mean, it's, it seems like it's hard for most people. So I'd say that's a probably a pretty solid tip is just make sure you have a range finder. I was probably almost a, we'll take a guess here, probably almost a guaranteed or necessary piece of equipment for the bow hunter, especially the inexperienced bow hunter. Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And the reality is, I mean, it all comes down to your margin of error. You know, if you've got if you got a rifle and you're shooting at 120, and you in your head you're telling yourself it's 140, well, you know you're probably going to be you know right there still. For me, there were plenty of times where I'd get up in the tree, I'd pick out a spot, you know, say, yeah, I bet that's about 18 yards, and then I'd throw up the rangefinder and it's actually 26, and it's like, you know, that that eight yard difference would have made a made a big deal if there was actually an animal there that you were drawing back on. So I did the exact same thing. Like Luke's talking about get there as soon as the sun comes up, you know, pick your, pick your reference points. And then constantly, if you're, you know, if you're doing a half day sit or an all day sit, you know, again, just confirm constantly, make sure you got those numbers fresh in your mind. And I think that's definitely something that, uh, that'll pay off. Yeah. Great drill that I started to do. I don't remember where I heard it. It was probably a podcast somewhere or a YouTube video or something, but take your range finder, and whenever you're just like walking around or you're just hanging out, but really when you're moving and like covering some ground, just stop, pick a point and say, that's 25. Like, just guess like what that, like that rock in front of you and then throw the rangefinder up, shoot it, see what it comes up as. And that's a really good drill. You can start tightening that up. I started getting to where I was within a couple yards every time. And I went from being horrible where i couldn't fucking estimate anything within 50 it was bad like i was like oh that's that's definitely 10 yards and it's like no that's 30 yards or that's you know usually i did it in reverse where i would think it was further than it was but like it it was not it was not good and so doing that little drill really tightened up my ability to do that smaller you know the smaller incremental uh you know estimates for what that range really is 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. I've uh, I've made the promise to myself that for my first first season and maybe even first two seasons uh, when I'm bow hunting that I'm not taking a shot past 30. 30 has been my number in my head. And so that'd be a good tool for me to do for, for 30 and in. Yeah. 30 was my number for this year. And um, I think like Luke said, I think it's good to, to do it and, and, you know, constantly in different settings and, and keep that practice because I will say this, the other thing or another thing that I learned especially hunting a new piece of ground that I wasn't familiar with is having, you know, being a new, a new bow hunter and having kind of a limit in your head that you're comfortable with for your max yardage, take a shot. It'll, it'll change the way you set up because there were a couple of times this season where I was looking at a place like, man, this, this feels like a really good spot to set up, but I'm guessing the majority of my shots might be, you know, 30, 35, 40. And I'm just not, I'm not comfortable taken those kind of shots yet so you know i had to had to kind of pivot and pick somewhere you know pick places that i felt like was you know pretty good chance of being 30 25 20 and in yeah i follow uh cody uh dequisto from lone wolf most people are familiar with him like he kills a lot a lot of big deer every year the guy's a fucking killer and one of his strategies like most of his shots are within eight yards and he sets himself up to where he's basically like when he's targeting that, that buck, and it's kind of what we were talking about with, you know, when you found those sheds, like honing in on that bedding, you know, getting in tight to those beds, basically where he's either not going to see that deer or he's going to be within like 10 yards. And I think there's something to that and that you're not, you're not getting into that scenario where you're, you know, it's hard when you're looking at a deer that's like maybe a little bit outside your maybe comfortable range, but it's a, it's a really nice buck. You're sitting there and you're like, oh, 30 is my limit. But this guy's sitting there at 36, 38, and that's a, you know, 130, 140 inch whitetail, which is huge for where we're from. Are you really going to not sling that arrow? And how much have you shot at that range? And so you can kind of take some of that temptation out, I think, by your strategy and how you're setting up. But, you know, that's just something to think about. Yeah, I think that's some some really solid advice there. It brings up the thought for me. I wonder if, you know, that makes a lot of sense for the whitetail woods or, you know, hunting whitetail from a stand. But the, the thought process, especially like you, Luke, who's going to be trying to chase some game out west with your bow this year, you know, you might not have that luxury. And then, so what's on that? Like, what is the predetermined range you set for yourself when you're doing like the spot and stalk method out west as opposed to having those predetermined distances sit in the tree? So I think the first thing uh, is not all species are the same. So mule deer are not as reactive as whitetails. They're not anywhere near as reactive as whitetails. That's something that they are so much more forgiving. Um, a lot of Western hunters want to talk shit about whitetail hunting. I can tell you what, you can get away with so much more hunting mule deer. They just do not. You, If you're with outside of like 200 yards, I mean, granted, I haven't been on some like really big ass KG bucks. I'm sure they operate very differently listening to Kafaru cast with Aaron Snyder. He basically says that like, you know, the difference from a three and a half year old to a four and a half year old mule deer, it's like a different species of animal. Like they're not even in the same, they don't react the same way. They don't act, they don't do anything the same. So take, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. I've probably only seen three and a half year old muleys on the, on the high side at this point in my infant uh, Western hunting career. But you don't have to be as worried about like, mule deer don't really jump strings like a whitetail will. Like when you shoot a, and what I mean by that for folks that don't, aren't familiar with the term. So when you let an arrow out, an arrow makes noise. And so that deer will hunch and will drop. And so it's actually good. You, you want to aim a little low on a whitetail usually because that deer is going to dr- drop when it hears the, as it tenses up and you're going to hit a little, a little bit high. That's, that's fairly typical with whitetails. And, you know, a deer like an axis deer is even worse. Like apparently those things will just like drag their bellies. They jump so damn low. So I've never hunted axis, but that's just what I've heard. And so knowing the species is key. And that was something I really learned this year is, you know, it's hard for me. I've pretty much only hunted hogs, varmints, predators, some predators here with coyotes and then, and then whitetails and then applying to a bunch of new species. And you've got to learn the species you're, you're running with. And so that's like, I, I'm not going to hunt antelope with my bow. Like, good luck. Like the guys do it and that's badass. The only way I'm going to do it is if I'm running one of those shields. Um, I've heard you can get, and I've seen videos where guys get pretty close with those shields. Basically, uh, I'm trying to Montana, De- not Montana decoy ultimate predator as the company. 
and there's like a, it looks like a, a big antelope that's like facing you. And then there's a cutout that you can shoot through in order to, to sh- like you walk up with that thing. And so I think that would be, you know, something you can get pretty close. And so something like an antelope, I'd probably be looking at about 40 and in something like an elk. I haven't shot a lot at 60 because I didn't have the pins for it, but I just changed to a sliding pin. You know, as long as I'm shooting consistently at 60, it'd probably be 60 and in on elk because the kill box is three times as big as a whitetail. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. Or that's what I was thinking about as you were asking that question, Ev, because, you know, I'm hopefully, you know, things work out. Um, I'm going to try to get an Idaho trip in uh, towards the end of this year, and um, I'm going to be taking my bow out there. Um, dude, I don't know if y'all have looked, by the way, at the, the fucking – the fucking tags for some of these states and some of these places, some of these units, it's crazy how fast they're selling out. I mean, it's just absolutely nuts. Um, the uh, Thanks, honey- Steve Ranella. Yeah. Actually, uh, yeah, I think they were talking about that the other day. It, I mean, it, it's, it's true, though. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. So anyway, the unit that I found in Idaho, um, the, only, the only tag they had available for that unit for over-the-counter was an archery tag. So that's what my plan is, Evan. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not planning on taking any sixty yard shots at Whitetail this year, but I'm. You better believe I'm going to be shooting sixty yards consistently this summer a lot because if I'm taking my bow out there to try to get an elk, then I want to at least feel like I have you know the possibility of of hitting the you know hitting the bread box at sixty or one of those things. You should snag. Uh, I think it's Reinhardt's the company, and they make a one third size elk target like a 3d elk target that'd be solid for you to get it's a bugle and bull but it's about the size of a whitetail um and so not only if you're shooting out to 60 you're also shooting at a smaller kill box but it's still in the shape of a i actually find i shoot better at 3d targets than i do at like a a normal dot target i don't know if it's like a level of target panic i don't think it's that but i don't really know but i shoot significantly better at 3d targets what I'm hearing there, Luke, is uh, you're going to buy some 3D targets for the cabin then. So that's something Perry and I have talked about. Now that you're getting a bow too, man, I think that uh, that'd be something really cool if every year we all pitch in and either buy, you know, one or two for Chris. Maybe it's our Christmas present to each other. We all, you know, either buy a target. You can get them for 100, 150 bucks each. Now that we're not poor anymore, uh, it's really not too bad. And we we buy those and we start building out a little 3D course at the farm that'd be pretty badass. And we could start doing like little challenges in the off season. You know, we get everybody in, do like a little fitness challenge, build a little circuit where you're, you know, you're doing teams, relays, type, that type of shit. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Evan, uh, we have a, a chat within the, the messaging thing we're using now. And uh, he just dropped the hashtag big money posers, which is pretty, pretty fitting. Cause that's definitely what we are. If you guys didn't, didn't follow along on Instagram, we were accused in one of the comments on one of our posts of uh, being a group of dudes that's just nothing but a bunch of big money posers, which is hysterical since I run this shit out of my ba- basement. And uh, Yeah, I didn't know I'm it was ha- big money. Yeah, I'm glad to do the that. Army, man. Huge <laughs> yeah. money. A lot, lot of money in the Army. Uh, we do this shit to get rich. Oh, but, uh, Gotta love the pr- internet. Yeah, it's, I mean, dude, 98% of the people that follow along with us are phenomenal and they're cool as shit. Uh and then there's like that 2% that you're like, dude, I don't even know what to do with you. Like, are you fucking serious? Big money posers. Like what about, like, go look at, just look, like scroll through our, our feed. And like, what about that looks big money to anybody? <laughs> it's like the most low rent shit in the world. But I mean, whatever. Hey, I guess we're faking the funk good enough to, to look like we're fucking, we're killing the game out there. Yeah. You got haters. So you must be doing something right. Looking cool is half the battle. Isn't that what they say? Yeah, I mean, we got that covered for sure. We're not we're not good at anything, but we can look good while we're failing. Well, shit, we uh kind of covered Perry. Perry ended up getting some success, killed a killed a doe, and then struck out the rest of the season, as tends to happen with bow hunting. And I think that's a really good good lesson for folks. I've got some buddies that are getting into bow hunting, and a lot of them are brand new hunters, and they listen to. You know, Rogan, you know, obviously Rogan's got the biggest platform literally on the planet right now. And they hear about his success and he's killing these monster elk. And you got, the, you know, he's, you got guys, Aaron Snyder's killing big animals all the time. These, these big names in the industry, Cam Haynes, you know, it's, it's everybody's like, oh, I want to be a bow hunter. It's like, well, 
that's awesome. And you, I love bow hunting, but I also like my rifle because I like killing shit. And I'm all about like efficacy. And like, if it's, if I can hunt more with a bow, then I'll hunt, I'll hunt with a bow. But if I can kill with a rifle, I'll, I'll do it. And expectation management is something that I think is lacking right now with a lot of new hunters. And you look at Perry, Perry's been hunting his entire life. He's killed a couple of big deer. He's killed, you know, probably four or five deer every year of his life. He picks up a bow hunting private land on our farm that he's been hunting his entire life. And he kills one doe. So like kind of take that as a, like a little bit of expectation management for all you new folks out there that are getting into it. If you're going to pick up a bow and start hunting, like don't expect to be killing monster deer. Like it's just probably not going to happen. Yeah. That's, that actually is pretty funny. Cause uh, one of the guys I work with um, who obviously you both know, Chad, um, I, and I told him, I just got into, got a bow and whatnot. And he was, you know, he wasn't talking shit, but he was just saying, man, you can have it. He was like, I like eating too much. You know, he can fill the freezer during rifle season. And so I, I can't argue with that at all. But, you know, for, for me, a big, a big thing for joining the archery club, archery cult rather, well, I guess I'm not a saddle hunter yet. I'll leave, so I'll leave the cult stuff to Perry being the saddle hunter, but, um, it's just expanding my season, especially because I was missing the hunting season so much. So it's just another opportunity for me to get in the woods because I missed it so bad. And, you know, if I'm deployed for a rifle season, but I'm home for bow season, then, you know, that just gives me another opportunity to get something and, and be out there. But, you know, I can't argue with those who are just, would you know, get what they fill the freezer during rifle season and enjoy eating them. I mean, Hey, that's, I think that's great too. No, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that's, I mean, that's honestly one of the great things about our sport is that you can pick your flavor, pick what works for you. Everyone can, can do it their own way. But I will say, man, you're absolutely right. That being able to expand your season, especially with, you know, with all the other shit we got going on, um, you know, you and your situation with, with your job, you're going to absolutely love having the ability to go out there early in the season, even if it's just, you know, an afternoon or a Saturday and take the bow and, um, you know, maybe go hunt some, some public land on base or something like that. I mean, it's, it's going to be awesome. And, and again, I come back to for as much of a, as a struggle as my bow season was in a lot of ways, especially, especially some of the late season stuff like that was where it was really tough because you just, it, it, it's, it's completely different when you factor in post rut, you know, conditions and how, how the whitetail are acting. And then you're trying to, you're trying to be on top of them at 20 yards and, you know, and not have them, not have you, not have them know you're there. You're fighting the elements. Um, that was, that was where it was really a struggle, but dude, I mean, it was honestly, you know, I've said it. I mean, it, it was honestly one of the, probably the most enjoyable seasons I've had maybe since, maybe since the first year I started hunting. Yeah. Just for me, the bottom line is I just want more opportunity to be in the woods to do any of this that like you guys know some of the dumb shit I did. I mean, I drove 12 hours round trip to hunt for eight hours in Wyoming the last day of the season for mule deer. Like this is kind of an obsession for me. And so if I can switch to hunting with a bow, if I can hunt with a rifle, like I'll hunt with whatever the fuck's legal, as long as I can get to hunt. And I, th I think that's, that's what it's about for me is it's beyond like, I, I know I can fill the freezer at this point. It's not, I, we haven't had issues, you know, the three of us filling the freezer other than when we're going to deploy Evan, me and you. But like, other than that, like when we get to hunt, we fill the freezer, we're going to put two, three does down. It's going to happen every year. And that's almost become grocery shopping for us. And we did that for a long time. And I think we got, I know I got kind of complacent with that it was like, Oh yeah. And now what I love is the, the new challenge, the new learning, learning about the species, about the ecosystem, all the knowledge that comes into it, that's what's fun. And that's like, dude, when I was elk hunting, man, dude, I was like a kid, like on his first hunt. I was probably like Jonah was when he went out with you, Perry. That's uh, Perry's son. And he took him out this year for the first time. Like I'm just like every little thing in Colorado, I'm just like, like I found a, a, a mountain lion kill site. Like, dude, that was badass, you know, like little elk fawn or elk calf, I guess they're calves, you know, carcass everything and it was, it was clearly you know like well likely killed by a mountain lion I was like that was that was super cool to me that's something i've never seen before and so just being able to experience all this new stuff going to texas traveling doing all this stuff that, that's what it's about for me and i'll use whatever tool i'm allowed to to expand my experiences and knowledge base 
Yeah, I completely agree, man. That makes all the sense to me. And I'm, I'm 100% on board with you. And especially the older I get, and you know, the more of it, my professional career hinders me from getting in the woods as much as I would like to, or, you know, getting on the water and fishing or whatever. And, uh, um, me and John, who you name dropped earlier, we, we had this conversation when we were bow fishing one night and we saw this osprey just like sitting on the water, man, uh, hunting fish. And it was awesome. It was something that I had never seen before. And it's, it's one of those things that a lot of people who, you know, that live in the suburbs and it's not a dig on that, but they just have a different lifestyle. They live in the suburbs, live in the city, and they don't, they don't have outdoor recreational hobbies. And they don't get to witness a lot of that stuff. And, you know, I, I truly love like those new experiences and I can't tell you how many, you know, just time squirrel hunting, splitting firewood, rifle hunting, whatever. Um, you just see new things like you were talking about with the kill site for the, the mountain lion, you know, like I still see, I'm not a super experienced outdoorsman, but you know, I'm 30 years old and I've been in the woods since I was, you know, old enough to walk with our father. And I still see new things all the time that are super exciting. So I completely get it. Yeah, that was honestly one of the reasons I decided just to say, you know, fuck it, let's go ahead and pull the trigger on on an Idaho hunt, even though it's, you know, the only option was an archery tag. It's like, you know what, I'm probably going to go out there and get my ass kicked. And, and, you know, I very well may end up eating that tag. But if that's what it takes to get out west for the first time and go chase an animal that I've never hunted before, um, you know, I've been out west before, but it's going to be completely different out there trying to trying to tag out on an elk. And I've never been, um, I don't think I've ever been to Idaho, or at least I've certainly never been to that part of the state that I'm planning on going. With Luke being out there, um, you know, hopefully we're going to meet up with our with our buddy if that works out. But it's like, you know what? It's absolutely going to be worth it. Go try something new. Going to go see something. Go some, you know, see some little corner of the world that I've never seen before. I, I, I can't tell you how excited I am, man. It's going to be a blast. Even if I, even if I don't kill anything, it's going to be, it's going to be a blast. Yeah, it definitely will be, man. Like anything. And that's what, based on my current situation, I, I likely won't be able to get a tag and, and go hunting with you. But if I can line it up, man, I'm just going to go, I'll film, I'll call, I'll, you know, whatever I'll help pack. Like I'll do whatever the hell we need to just to tag along on the trip and the experience. Cause I haven't been to Idaho either, you know? And, at this point in my life, I'm just like, I'm not going to say no to anything. Like if, if I can swing it with a job. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I started HLE was just, you know, hunting is my passion and it's like the fire. And so why not start to build something that's going to facilitate me to be able to do what I want to do more. And I think that's what most people should do. Like if you have, well, if it's cars, if it's hunting, if it's whatever it is, whatever your passion is, like start to build your life around that so you can do it more. Like I think too much we get into the trap of we work, you know, five days a week to be able to pay for our two days of doing what we enjoy. And I, I don't think that it has to be that way. You know, I, I'm constantly getting uh, guys that I, <laughs> are in the same situation as me. Like they're fucking the same rank. We came up together. We were in the army together. And they're like, man, are you, do you even work anymore? Like, how are you doing all these hunts? Like, that must be fucking nice. I wish I could do that. And I'm like, dude, we have the same fucking job. You can do that. Like the army gives you a lot of four days. You get a lot of federal holidays off. You get, you know, a month, a leave a year. Like you can build this. And like most jobs will give you some time off. You can build your life in such a way to, to experience the things you want to experience. We just are, I think a lot of people are afraid to do it. They're afraid to put that kind of time in, into the things that they love. Because, I mean, it's kind of, it is a leap. Like, it's like, am I going to really, and it's hard. It sucks. Like, you, if you're obsessed with it, like, I did drive. I got off work on a Friday night at, you know, 5 o'clock p.m., drove through the night, got to six hours to Wyoming, slept for three hours, woke up, hunted all day, and then drove back that night. Like, so you might have to do some shit that's not that much fun as far as driving, but you, the opportunities are out there for anybody if you want to take advantage of them. Yeah, I think that's the beautiful thing about this sport in general and and you know just to have the ability to to go in whatever direction you choose to take it whether you know whether you want to be that guy that's that's hunting the same same old family farm, the same old tree stand, you know that that your daddy hunted, that your granddaddy hunted or whether you're going to say fuck it, I'm going to hop in the truck and go drive 10 hours and go see a piece of dirt that I've never seen before. Um you know, pick up a bow for the first time. 
go chase, you know, go chase turkeys. If you've never done that before, go chase, you know, ducks, get on the water, get in a boat, um, get a fishing pole in your hands, the ability to, to, and, and it's something that I think, um, and we've talked a little bit about it before Luke, that we take for granted with having the, the particular benefits of the North American model with the vast amount of public land, especially some of that stuff out West that you have access to and that we all have access to. It's just a matter of, of taking advantage of it. Um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think too many folks get, there's some barrier to entry for a lot of people with hunting. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I also developed this company is I want to start to broach and, and break down some of those barriers because it's hard. You know, if you don't have somebody that's doing it, if you don't have access and I, you know, I've got some big like 10 year goals in the works to start to like do some stuff that, you know, likely won't happen for a while just based on scheduling and everything, but to really be able to bring more people into hunting. But at the same time, we live in the age where in the palm of your hand, you have a supercomputer with like 10 times the technology or a hundred times the technology, whatever the fuck it is that got us to the moon in the sixties. So ignorance is kind of a choice at this point. And so if you want to learn something and you want to know how to do something, the answers are out there. You just, you might have to dig a little bit. Like so many people that I run into at Carson are like, Oh yeah, you know, I, I I'm a big hunter, but I haven't, I didn't hunt out here this first season because, you know, I got out here and it was just too much with the rules and regs. Like motherfucker, I got here in July and I hunted every species because I sat there before I got out here and I read through the Fort Carson hunting brochure literally like five times, printed out, made built a binder, like a fucking nerd. So I could learn this shit because it's a whole new system and it is hard. It's a pain in the ass. But if you want, if you want to do it, you want to take advantage of these opportunities that are afforded to you then you, you're going to have to do a little bit of, little bit of, uh, <laughs> fuck you, Perry. He's talking shit in the uh, little chat here saying, look at me, Luke. I like to read. I don't really like to read. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, a little bit dumb, but yeah, but you have to, you have to read and you have to learn and you have to know these rules and regs if you want to get into this stuff, because if, if you don't, then, you know, you're just going to sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else do what you want to do. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a good point, man. For sure. Also, though, man, there's been a lot of animals killed in blue jeans with their, you know, hand me down 243 with a $200 scope or iron sights on top of it. So, you know, people will find excuses to keep themselves from doing things. And I, I've I've ran, you know, the term self-selection in the military is pretty, you know, it gets thrown out a lot. Of, but it's, it's applicable to the civilian world with any things. I can't tell you how many times people have said, oh, yeah, I've always wanted to do this. I always wanted to do that when I'm, you know pick a, pick a sport, pick a hobby, pick a job career, whatever. People always are self-selecting, if you will, or finding the excuses to justify why they don't take action in their lives. But that's, you know, that's a tangent, a topic that you could go on for hours about, but it's, I, I hear you, man, for sure. Yeah, it's real. I mean, I think it's real in, in everything, hunting, business, you know, life relationships. I mean, people don't want to put themselves out there to the point I mean, you guys know you're, you're, you're on this podcast. Like, it's a little bit scary to get on a podcast and talk. Like, the first time we recorded, like, we were all a little nervous. Like, it was a little weird. Like, it wasn't until we were, like, three or four beers deep and, like, rolling in conversation that we kind of got a little more natural. Like, it takes a little bit to put yourself out there. And people don't want to do it. Everybody wants to, you know, they want the fruit, but they don't want to do any of the planning, you know. And so, if you want any of this stuff, if you want to do these cool hunts in these cool places – then start to set your life up in ways that are going to benefit you and allow you to do that. And whether it's, you know, start, you don't have to start a business, you know, apparel company, like that's not what I'm saying, but you can do things that allow you to, you know, maybe it's just budgeting. Maybe you're just putting a hundred dollars a month. You're skipping two cases of beer, three cases of beer, and you're buying, you're, you're putting that towards a hunt. I mean, $1,200 a year, you can do, you can do a probably a cool hunt on $1,200 a year. So just stuff to think about. Honestly, man, I think you just touched on something that honestly I think would be a great topic for an entire podcast by itself because I think you're absolutely right. We've all, you know, speaking for the three of us, we've all done things. We've all made sacrifices. And um, to be able to look back and know that it was worth it, to know that you did put yourself in that position where now you can take advantage of those opportunities when they're in front of you 
and you're going to go grab it and you're going to, you know, you're not going to let something um, pass you by that you otherwise might've missed out on because you made, you know, you made different decisions years down the road or years, you know, years past. Um, I think there's a lot there that, that could be dissected more. And that's something that, um, that I think that warrants some, some further exploration. Yeah, I absolutely think it does. And that's one of the reasons why this podcast isn't just hunting, lifting, and eating. We kind of talk about the lifestyle stuff that feeds into what the financials and entrepreneurship and all this stuff. And, and I've gotten some feedback and some folks say like, yeah, that doesn't really do it for me. And hey, look, that's cool. I get it. Like that's not for everybody, but it's my podcast and we're going to do it because I think it's really important at the end of the day. And if you want to be able to live your life around you know, the HLE kind of mantra, you have to set yourself up financially and you have to set yourself up like with your lifestyle in order to facilitate those goals and those ideals. So, you know, it's not as black and white as like, Oh, we're just going to talk about this. Cause I don't think enough podcasts talk about the importance of like, you're fine. Like we, we talk about like your mental health and your physical health and hunting and all this stuff. But do we talk about your financial health? Because that matters and it ties into everything. Like the number one cause of divorce in the United States is finances. And so if like 70% of divorces in the United States are coming from financial issues and then you, there's a chain reaction of relationships going bad, everything else, like you're not going to be able to do the things you want to do outside of that. If you don't have, you know, those things in order. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. And, uh, it's, we've, we've all kind of, the older we've got, gotten more into the financial realm, but it's, uh, when I first started investing, um, uh, I was actually using a financial advisor and he threw out a number and it's, uh, I don't, I don't remember exactly, but basically so in the age group that I was in, in age, uh, early twenties to 30. So basically 20 to 30, um, he was talking about how the average American age 20 to 30 is over $13,000 in credit card debt. And it goes into that, you know, living or making here, your, your income is here and then your spending limit is there. So, you know, it matches it. It's right there at the same. And, you know, it, it goes into that excuses thing and people looked at it and they all don't have the money, but then like, what could you cut out? Could you cut out on that Netflix subscription that, Pandora subscription, like you say, the case of beer or whatever. And, you know, it's easy to sit on the couch and I, I enjoy sitting on the couch and watching a Western and drinking a case of beer. But at the end of the day, I, I can't, if I do that every single day, I can't really talk shit about not being able to get in the woods and hunting or anything else that I want to do. So, Yeah, absolutely. And it's a real thing. I mean, you see it all over the hunting forums. You see it on Instagram. You see it like all the hate is like, oh, I mean, fuck, they, dude, they call us big money posers. Like, <laughs> like that's a, a prime example of people that don't have and they want to, like, lash out at somebody else because they have are able to do something that they can't do. And it's like, well, motherfucker, like, you know, you live in the same country I do. You could have joined the Army. Like, fuck, man, they'll take anybody. It's not that hard, you know? So if you want to do that, go – Go do what you want to do to set yourself up to be able to do the things you want to do. It's it's that simple. Don't want to get too randy. I mean, we're gonna we could talk about this forever. And I think this will be a, the topic of another podcast. But we should probably start wrapping this one up. Um, we didn't get at all to any of the Western hunts, but we'll uh, we'll, we'll cover that in another episode, and we'll talk about what I did and kind of some of the lessons learned. We might just break it down like each hunt by an episode, or maybe the last three or two or three hunts like rolled up in one because they're a little simpler. But I think the the first one, especially with the elk hunting will be beneficial. I talk about like packing lists. I've gotten some questions on that and kind of my strategies for how I pack and how I go into the back country. Um, touch on some of that gear. Where do you spend your money? Cause that's always a big topic because it can be so expensive. Yeah, I think that's good stuff. And honestly, I think that would be, that would be, a great um, kind of tie into what we were just talking about is, is um, how you, how you plan ahead of time, how you make the, the right decisions to go set yourself up to be able to take advantage of those opportunities when they do arise. I, I know for me, I've got a lot to learn about the backcountry hunting world out West. And I'm going to be curious to pick your brain on, you know, what, what, what I need to prepare um, the, the gear, the setup, 
um, all the different logistics that are going to have to be worked out. Um, so I think, I think there's going to be a lot of good information to, to get into on that. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely hit, hit all those topics and, and really unpack it. And we've got all the time in the world and crank out episodes. So we'll do, uh, we'll probably do one full episode on, on the elk hunt. I do. We still uh, need to do a, a Q and a uh, episode. We had a lot of great questions coming in via Instagram. People were asking, and so we might do do the elk episode, and then right after that, do the Q and A, and then roll into some other stuff. But we'll, we'll just play it by ear, man. Like with anything with us, if you guys haven't figured it out by now, we don't really plan a lot as far as the, the episodes go. We kind of pick a topic, have a rough outline, and just let the conversation go where it goes. Sometimes we get a little rambly and ranty, but at this point, if you're still following along, you're probably used to it, and you don't hate it too much because that's that's not going to change. Just kind of our personality in general. We can talk about anything for a long period of time. Yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely is. But uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. We're, we're a little past an hour here. We can go ahead and, and, and put a bow in it and get ready for the next one. But uh, Evan, why don't you, let's do a second go here of you actually pushing out your Instagram since last time you just sat there in awkward silence. Yeah, I had my, my mic still muted, so you didn't hear me cracking beers in the background and coughing and whatnot. But yeah, so my Instagram, you can follow me at evan.d.eisner. Pretty simple there. I'm also on Facebook, but go ahead and throw me a follow on uh, on Instagram. Yeah, Evan's got a, a pretty new page. He's really just now starting to pay attention to the, the social media, as Perry likes to call it. But he's been working on some pretty good content, and he's going to kind of start chronicling his journey into bow hunting and what that looks like, and it's pretty good stuff. But definitely, if you guys aren't following along, I'm sure you most of you are by now with the the brand page. It's on Instagram. It's at HuntLiftedOfficial. Definitely subscribe to this podcast if you guys are listening via uh, any platform. And then if you're listening on Apple, drop us a rating and a review. Let us know what you think. Shoot any feedback you guys have to us uh, through Instagram or through the website. Go check out the new restock. We just dropped a ton of uh, apparel back onto the site. So all sizes, everything's up. Go check it out. It's been going really quick. All the sweatshirts and hoodies and beanies, all the winter gear, once it's gone, it's gone. We're not going to restock that. Some of it may come back in different variations for the in the fall and winter next year, but it's or this this coming year, but it probably won't be the uh, the same. So if you guys want it, snag it now. And as always, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it.